This is the movie Hall of Fame class of David Mamet for Sunday, April 24th, 2022. And there he is across the table from me. He knows that it takes brass balls to podcast. It's Adam Hall. Hello. Hello, hello. Are we talking or are we speaking? (laughs) This seems to be coming from one movie. Speaking or talking? (laughs) Uh, how many ends are in Glengarry Glen Ross? I'm looking at it now and it looks, uh, are you questioning my spelling? Yes. It's correct. Don't worry. Are you sure? Don't worry yourself. I could have sworn there was two ends. Don't worry yourself. Hmm. I spelled it correctly. The worst film title, by the way, of a great movie ever. Glengarry Glen Ross. It's a horrible title. Well, I mean, stuff like that usually gets a tiny pass because it's the name of the play. Or you could just change the name of the play to the movie. Or, or, okay, then it's the worst named play ever. Why, plays get a pass? Plays are allowed to be named stupid things? Like Glengarry Glen Ross? State in Maine is a pretty shitty name, too. Yeah, at least, like, you know their street corners, though. Like, at least, like, you understand what it means just by looking at it. Whereas Glengarry Glen Ross, you can watch the movie and not even know what it means. Sure, yeah. You know? It's like, what what is a Glengarry lead? Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. I, I was I was watching State in Maine, and I said, uh, oh, I'm watching State in Maine. And they're like, State of Maine? And I'm like, no, no, State and Maine. What the fuck does that mean? Well, it's, you know, it's the intersection of two streets, you know. Alec Baldwin likes having sex with 14-year-olds, and so... <laughs> still does. He was. Still loves having sex with 14-year-olds. It's one of the great lines in that movie. <laughs> that was good stuff, yeah. <laughs> and we'll talk about that one. What is Bob Berenger like? 14-year-olds. <laughs> who said, Was that Will Macy who said that yeah, one? Yeah, I think so. He's, I think he's, so. Oh, God, he's good in that one. Uh, I'm really excited for today, Adam. We just <laughs> got back was... <laughs> from a screening of The Northman, you and I. Yes, we did. We just, our, our blood is mm. pumping with testosterone yeah, right we're, now. We're... I want to stab you in the throat <laughs> yeah. right now. Like, that's the kind of mood that I'm in, you know? This is, this is higher than cocaine that we're on right now. This yeah. is something else. We're, we're uh, just on pure vengeance. Yeah. I, the <laughs> drug of choice <laughs> is vengeance just today. Just injected right into my bloodstream. <laughs> vengeance. <laughs> Yeah, that's about right. I mean, this was a very... Uh, I'm still not sure why you wanted to do this one. Uh, Well, okay. David Mamet has kind of been in the news lately because he's been saying some weird shit. And I saw that but, film Twitter was kind of bickering about him because like, they don't like his political opinions or whatever. Uh, so I thought, you know what? Let's lean into it. You know, everybody's... <laughs> Everybody's zigging on Mammoth. I'm gonna zag. You what know is ev- what? What is everybody? Not what is everybody? I don't this? know. It's, it is not the masses. I, I haven't heard. I've, well, I'll put it this way. I've not talked to anybody recently aside from you that is fed up over David Mammoth. Do you know what it was? What? It was Jabril. It was Jabril. Because he texted no. me. He texted me last week and he was like, "Hey, bad beat for your boy Mammoth." <laughs> and I'm like, "Hell yeah, man! Oh, get ready for two hours of audio goodness oh, no. on the man." I love my problematic old guys, man. I just yeah, love them. Me too, to I, a degree. I love them. Like Paul Schrader, mm, just doing yeah. wacky Facebook posts. That's fine. I fucking yeah. love these guys, man. I'm just yeah. leaning in. Yeah, I will I will say. <laughs> I just need to remind the people, you know, like, you may be disappointed, somewhat offended that David Bambit compared teachers to pedophiles last <laughs> week, and that is fine. I just need to remind you that his film work... Still holds the test of time. You know what I mean? His writing holds the test of time. Well, we'll get to it, I guess. (laughs) 
I guess we'll get to it. What'd you think? Did you have fun this week talking man or uh, watching Mammoth? Like, where are you right now? So this is something I wanted to bring up. We we occasionally, you know, there will be Nico picks, and those will include Pink Panther, Albert Brooks, Fast and Furious, etc. Now. <laughs> All tremendous podcasts. Tremendous. Now, generally speaking... (laughs) Generally speaking... I'm a little hesitant, all right? Not to say I have an issue with any any three of those things, but I'm like, is this really going to hold up? And occasionally you get like a really great one like the Pink Panther where I was genuinely surprised by my reactions uh, and it was a 3-2 th- uh, KD, which is a positive k- uh, kill-death ratio, okay. meaning there were three that I would save, two that I would kill. And that's good. That 3-2 means- KD. Yeah. Okay. That means you win. Is that a video game thing? It is a video game thing. All right, good. Yeah. I thought it was like a boxing thing. I thought no. you were like, you won the round 10-9. No. <laughs> well, essentially that's what it is okay. more or less that's what it is. you won the round for that one and more or less like like you you base i would say you basically won the round for something like fast and furious and honestly the same went for albert brooks you've been on a nice winning streak <laughs> <laughs> where is this going and i hate to tell you nico it oh. ends here no <laughs> no <laughs> Are you serious? And funny enough, are you si- How do you what? score it? What, what what do you have at the judge's scorecard? Well, one of them I'm not even counting. Okay, because <laughs> because I'm I'm talking about the directed by David Mamet things here, right? Yeah, and, there's and if, one notable exception. And if we're and if it, if it's based off of the uh, what is it? Four movies di- here directed by David Mamet. <laughs> Bro, it's it's a one to three. What? Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't enjoy this at all. <laughs> I, hate, I hate to be that guy here. I had very little fun on this one. Yeah. With the exception of one movie. And I guess the other one, not directed by David Mamet, which we've talked about in the past because it's like his movie that's somehow not his movie. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, all right. Let's just get into it. Then. Yes. <laughs> Uh, the other thing, too, is I just saw American Buffalo on Broadway, and I thought this is a good opportunity to talk about the, you know, the the uh, the master of letters himself, David Mamet. That seemed like a significant instigator for this for this whole thing as well. Yeah, I had a great time. I'd never seen a Broadway play before. That's and cool, I'm like, man. yeah, you know, I was in the city. I had nothing to do. And I said, all right, I'll, I'll buy myself one ticket to <laughs> American Buffalo. And it was a great time. It's a hell of a way to start it, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. That I would love that. That would have been amazing. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a Lawrence Fishburne, Sam Rockwell, Darren Chris three hander. Okay. Uh, I had a great time. I guess we'll we'll talk about it as as the show goes on. But Mamet is yeah one of my guys. Where I'm just like I hear the words that he has written coming out of these character actors' mouths, and it is speaking a language that only I understand. You know, it's just like, I'm on the wavelength of this dude. Sure. And I, I don't know if you have, you know, a lot of the guys that I admire now. I don't know if you have Aaron Sorkin without David Mamet. You know, I don't know if you have Martin McDonough without uh, uh, David Mamet. Like, he's he's a, a guy whose influence... Uh, is is large and sweeping mm-hmm. um so yeah i don't know I, I find him to be also like a pretty underrated director i i love his film work although he is primarily known as a playwright i think he had like a really awesome second career that lasted for about 15 years and then ended um 
And it's also the, the kinds of movies that you really don't see anymore. It feels That's like true. they're a relic of the 90s and early 2000s. And, you know, he sort of got in at the absolute last second. Uh, you know, these types of movies used to dominate Hollywood. And now, I don't know, when was the last movie like House of Games you saw <laughs> in a theater? I, I can't think of one. I mean, it's been at least 15 to 20 years. It's been a while. You know? <laughs> so, like, I, I don't know. Like, I watch these things, too, and I, I think of a fonder time, you uh, know, going to the movies. And, um, all right. Okay. I guess prepare for, for, for combat, <laughs> I suppose. I suppose, yeah. I'm, I'm going to put my wolf skin on my back and... Uh, oh, yeah. There we go. <laughs> just, I will have my vengeance. Just yell half naked. <laughs> Void me! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think we're going to talk Northman on why yeah, is Yeah, because apparently Nick has, has seen it. Apparently. Yes. I hope he's seen it. Yes. So so we're going to talk on the other show if you want a review of that. It may just dominate the other show. Might. It might. It might, yeah. Okay. Mammoth. Here are your five movies nominated for induction into the Movie Hall of Fame. 1987's House of Games. 1991's Homicide. 1992's Glen Gary, Glen Ross. 1997's The Spanish Prisoner and 2000's State and Maine. Uh, one of these going to be put into the movie Hall of Fame. You noted before that four of these movies are directed by David Mamet. Only one was not. That movie is Glengarry Glenn Ross. And I understand maybe we are not holding fast and true to the the constraints of this podcast, but I thought that it was a notable exception that needed to be included. You know, it is his most famous work, even though he didn't direct it. It's the play that really put him on the map. He won the Pulitzer Prize for it. It is, you know, insanely quotable, insanely recognizable, even to a younger generation. And I know that opens the door to movies like The Untouchables. It opens the door to movies like Wag the Dog or Mm. Hannibal or The Edge. You know, all of these movies. Hannibal. (laughs) Hannibal. Oh, my God. It does. (laughs) You want it. That also co-ran by Steve Zalian, by the way. That's true. Which is insane. When you watch that movie, you're like, this was written by a person? (laughs) 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 Let alone these guys? (laughs) An algorithm didn't write this? Uh, Yeah. Well, yeah, so Mamet had, like, a draft for that movie, mm. and I guess everyone hated it, so Zalian just rewrote the whole thing. Mamet still has a writing credit, but apparently very little of yeah. that movie is actually his. That makes sense. But, yes, it does open the door to, even The Verdict is another one, right? Mm. All of those movies, though, I felt like were based on other people's material. They were high, they were hired gun jobs for Mamet. It wasn't like really from his core. It wasn't from his mind. Sure. Uh, Ronan was another one. Robert De Niro's Ronan. Uh, so I, I don't know. I thought Glengarry Glenn Ross was his movie in many ways. So yeah. I wanted to include that as yeah. part of this. When we were texting back and forth, I did I did make a point though about like okay, if we ever for whatever reason, if uh, what did I mention about true romance? So like if we ever did a Tony Scott. Uh, uh, podcast, which I guess we could do, but then I would probably back up a little bit on True Romance. Doesn't really feel like his movie per se, right? That feels like a you know. If you, Fair enough. Yeah, it's a Tarantino. Yeah, movie. that's kind yeah. of Tarantino's tenth movie. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people consider it that, right? And so yes. Anyway, well articulated. <laughs> uh, yeah, there were a bunch of random movies that I didn't know he was involved in. To Hoffa be too. You. That's a very famous one regarding Paul Thomas Anderson. What, how so? 
because that when Paul Thomas Anderson has that famous story about how he dropped out of film school after like a week or something because he plagiarized a script and that was a David Mamet script and just handed it in saying, oh, here's the script I wrote. And really it was David Mamet's, but it was the script for Hoffa. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and what? He just figured the professor hadn't seen Hoffa? Well, it hadn't been made yet. Oh. How did he get his hands on it then? Because he's it's, he was in the business. He's part of famous famous family. Yeah, it's, okay. it's PTA. Right. But he he got like a C plus on it or something like that. <laughs> and he's like, all right, I'm done. Yeah, fuck film school. <laughs> Danny DeVito directed. Mm-hmm. Jack Nicholson stars yeah. as Hoffa. Yes, yes. Yeah, a n- notorious bomb in many ways. Mm-hmm. It, that's the other weird thing. I'm going through all of his movies. Uh, there was a film adaptation of American Buffalo in 96. Yes. Uh, Louis Mallet did a, 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 an adaptation of Vanya on 42nd Street. Um, there were a lot of movies that made no money. Yeah. That Mamet was just allowed to make time and time again. Like, I looked at the box office for all this stuff. The Untouchables is the rare exception. That's like a major movie with major movie stars and like it's a canonical thing. But... None of the movies we're going to talk about today made any money. And he was surprised. just able to make them in the 90s. And that's kind of the miracle of his career in a lot of ways. Is it his pull, just the fact that he's mammoth and, you know? Yeah, I don't know. There's just a love for what this guy produces as a writer that gives him the, the leeway to do these kinds of things. It could be. Sometimes you, know? you just win a Pulitzer and it's like, we that, need to be in business with this that's guy. That. <laughs> you know? But there's like, oh, I want to work on David Mamet material for, for actors. Well, actors I, too, right. Which I find so fascinating because the casting in these movies are so so weird yeah They're very weird casting choices and part of the reason why i'm they probably didn't do well i mean just look at the lead in the spanish prisoner yeah no one's going to the movie for whoever that guy is yeah but steve martin was top billed there whatever i thought well that is kind of telling <laughs> though right like steve martin's only in like 40 minutes of exactly that movie, right? <laughs> he's not the lead of that movie yeah ben gazara is the guy's name okay I do have a thought on that, and I actually wrote that down in my notes, yeah. so we'll get to it. Uh, actually, let's get to it right now. Uh, we'll start with 1987's House of Games, mm. which is Mammoth's debut film uh, starring Lindsay Krauss and Joe Montaigne. A psychiatrist comes to the aid of a compulsive gambler and is led by a smooth-talking grifter into the shadowy but compelling world of stings, scams, and con men. So I think Lindsay Krauss is... Uh, like the perfect example of what you're talking about. Lindsay Krauss was married to David Mamet at the time. It was a short-lived marriage. I think they were only together like four years before he ended up leaving uh, for Rebecca Pigeon, who was in The Spanish Prisoner and, and several other Mamet State films. in Maine as well. Yeah. State in Maine and actually Homicide briefly. Yeah. Uh, that was a case where I'm like, she doesn't really have the movie star thing. Now, part of that might be somewhat intentional or at least somewhat helpful considering this is a movie about kind of a nobody that is pulled into a seductive world mm. uh but she doesn't really have the chops to carry this thing and i will say that is the 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 fatal flaw of house of games if you are not a fan of it which it seems like you're not no no i know it's a favorite of roger ebert i know he loves quite a few of these movies he called it the number one movie of 1987 1987 yeah. is he aware that robocop came out yeah I, I watched his top 10 on Siskel and Ebert. It was, Robocop was not in the top 10. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> what? I think like The Last Emperor was number two or something. Huh? Yeah. What was he smoking in 1987? Uh, whatever Mammoth was smoking, I suppose. You didn't like it? No. Why? That was my least favorite, I think, of all of these. Really? With the exception, there's one contender, but like, yeah, I really didn't enjoy this one. Um, I just 
because it's fucking boring, man. Jesus Christ, this movie's boring. I, 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 I don't even know what to say about it. I think the performances are horseshit. <laughs> I think they're really surprisingly bad. Joan Montaigne included. And we'll, that'll be a recurring issue. Uh, <laughs> just flat, wooden, everybody across the board, like some of the most like perfunctory direction I've ever seen. That's another thing that will Did continue. you think so? Yeah. Perfunctory? Yeah. I don't know. This lifeless thing. That's a, a little harsh. Of a movie. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> It's I, it's one of those movies where it's like I know what it is the second it starts and I see every twist and current turn coming before they happen. I know yes. exactly where it's going to go. I know who's going to betray who. It's and there's a lot of like pretending that this movie's ahead of the audience and I'm just like dude, no. No, no, no. Like I mean, you didn't you didn't need to do this at, at this stage. I don't know. In 1987, I feel like this is kind of tried and true territory. But like this is the type of movie that demands like a lot of like like personality and a lot of clever charm and a lot of command by the actors and they're just really bad they're so bad i think these performances are awful with the exception of the one dude who has the squirt gun at the at the poker table he's ricky J. he's great as he, he is in all of mammoth's movies all good, yes one saved magician Ricky J. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So R- Ricky J. was a friend of uh, of Mammoth's. Uh, Mammoth ended up directing like his one man Broadway show. Ah, cool. uh, is also a frequent collaborator of Paul Thomas Anderson, or was he passed away a couple years ago? But oh yeah, PTA right, yeah. puts him in in a bunch of his. It puts him in Boogie Nights. Yeah. Puts him in uh, I I in Hard Eight as well. Uh, but Mammoth uh, sort of used Ricky J. as his conduit to the underworld, to the con man underworld, because he's so familiar with con men he knows all the tricks of the mm. trade and ricky j kind of felt bad during you know both this and the spanish prisoner he didn't want to give away some of the tricks he <laughs> felt like that was like violating a code so a lot of the stuff you see in both of these movies were from the mind of ricky j the the envelope switch at the end of this movie house of games is from Ricky Jay's mind. Interesting. So yeah, a, a real again passed away a few years ago. There's a great documentary about him. Highly recommend you watch it. Uh, one of like the really cool characters that kind of just pops up in '90s cinema mm. was always like yeah one of my like low key favorite character actors of yeah. that era. He's really good. Yeah. yeah, the notable standout of the movie. I, I thought so, particularly in that scene, which is thrilling. He's thrilling anyway. Uh, Joe Montaigne and and Mammoth's wife, not so much. Lindsay Krause. Lindsay Lindsay Krause. She's bad in this movie, man. Like it's 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 insanely bad. I thought. Yeah, it definitely felt like nepotism. Yeah, that casting decision. I I agree. I do think though. Again, his movies are about people under the weight of you know a crucible of a system that's crushing them and sure. they so desperately want to fight back like all of his movies are about desperate people losers has-beens uh there's not a single character in any of these movies with the exception of maybe philip seymour hoffman in state of maine yeah where it's like this is like a noble person that does the right thing oh the redeemable kinds yeah i i, I see that like there's a similar um, <laughs> lack of affection towards the characters that like Robert Altman might have. Well, I don't know if it's lack of uh, lack of affection. I think it's it's ob- objectivity in a lot of ways. I don't think he Sometimes. hates his characters. You know, I think he kind of just watches them from afar and pities them. That's probably true. Yeah, and there yeah. that is kind of like a you know a difference. You could 
like someone while also pitying them, you know? It makes sense in that that he would be a little more kind towards Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, given what his character is in that movie. So yes. I guess you could call a mammoth stand-in in a way. Right. Yeah. I, okay, I so... If your if your problem is the performances, maybe I mean I don't know. Like I find this story to be yes trite, uh, somewhat. Yeah. If you've seen a con man movie before, if you're as big a fan of con man movies as I am, you know exactly where this movie is going the entire time. Mm-hmm. I also didn't care. Like it's just <laughs> like it's jazz, right? Like it's the it's, same couple of notes, and I will show up for you to play the same couple of notes. It like doesn't have the energy or the spark of a jazz. See, I disagree with you because I, I think feel like, that at all. There are a lot of playwrights, particularly Aaron Sorkin, in the last you know couple of years of his career, but this, also guys like Tracy Letts, who had a lot of success on the stage, mm. and they just can't make the jump. Uh, Tracy Letts just wrote that stupid fucking Amy Adams movie, Woman in the Window, and it was his oh, first right? yeah. original screenplay, and it sucked. <laughs> Uh, you know, he is one of those guys that I think has maybe not the most expansive visual palette has a sense of like what it takes to make movie magic. Like he just gets like, you got to put a bomb under the desk, right? You have to have ticking clocks and explosions and guns. Like he is very, uh, to say Hitchcockian is kind of like a cliche, but he, he is sort of in that, Hitchcockian school of thought where Mm -hmm. a lot of these playwrights come in and they you know they just sort of take the pretension of the theater world they translate it into (laughs) movies and it doesn't work that's true but like his movies are fucking entertaining and it it kind of feels like he's a movie guy trapped in theater not a theater guy trapped in movies if that makes sense yeah I mean we might have to agree to disagree on that one Mm. honestly because I had no yeah no no fun or energy in this i i was thinking of aaron sorkin the entire time yeah with how aaron sorkin is just kind of struggling to make that jump i thought that i thought they're actually kind of similar comps in that way how they just like they clearly know how to write it's very yeah. obvious they know how to write but for some reason their uh uh cinematic sensibilities just don't quite make make the leap i i kind of felt the opposite in a lot of ways where it's like this guy is just so muted and restrained and likes a very specific space similar to that of theater and he likes he likes like like I, I don't know maybe like like handling the craft in the way that you have to do in a film is not quite his bread and butter because it felt that way for a few of the, his films hmm. yeah this to me was just the worst example and maybe that's only because it was his first film but too insulated perhaps maybe maybe like it's just so competent Mm. In my opinion, mm-hmm. you know, because I think it's interesting that he's at least going for Hitchcockian ideas here. It's not it's not like he's just doing a straight chamber piece. So that's neat. But yeah, but it it is the most like white bread Hitchcock film I've ever seen, in my opinion. Huh. Uh, I couldn't. Yeah, could not. I didn't have any fun watching it, frankly. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. It just no entertainment. It was just a movie that happened in front of me. And that was that was that. And I kind of felt that about a few other films. Did you not appreciate the puzzle box aspect of it? Because I know you in the past have had your issues with puzzle box movies, puzzle box movies, with I, movies that like the, the person, the, the filmmaker expects you to do the work deconstructing it. I like. Yeah. I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world. I, I, I'm someone who prefers mysteries to puzzles, you know, where a mystery is something you get uh, pulled into. Whereas a whereas like a puzzle is something the the director is literally asking you to solve. It's a little bit different. Well, I think um, mysteries are something that characters unravel, where puzzles yes. are something the audience unravels. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like yeah. it's a, it's it's an adventure you are taken along with. It's not it's not something where the you know 
you know, figuratively, the director is turning to you and saying, give it a shot, kid, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't, there are plenty of movies I've seen where I'm okay with that. It's just here, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I've, I see how it might have been better, perhaps if the casting was, was, was a little smarter. Because this is another through line that'll happen. These actors sometimes make the script sound really good bad i thought they're just they just don't have the chops to really pull this stuff off whereas like there are specific characters in this one like the that that guy i I mentioned uh the magician i can't remember ricky j yeah ricky j who clearly gets the mammoth voice and that that carries over with someone like glengarry or the people in glengarry glen ross and james foley and and the the director of that yeah i mean you know (laughs) and like Every great actor of the of the 20th century is in Glengarry Glen Ross, though. Like this, you have to keep in mind too. This was an independent movie made on a shoestring yeah. budget with Mammoth's theater buddies. I mean, sure. that's why Montaigne is in this. I know, you know? I know. But you need very, very smart and confident actors with a tremendous amount of energy to deliver a lot of this stuff. Because if you don't get the it, energy, is the key. That's true. If you don't get it just right, like the 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 classic Mammoth repetition is just going to sound weird. And there were instances in here where I'm like, I see the the Mammoth like like. Like, I, I don't know what's a good example. It's like, you went and got her? I got her. You got her? Yeah, I got her. Like that kind of back and forth. It's like, yeah, I see I see that in, in all of his films, but here it's just not quite figured out or fully understood. And they don't have the, the dramatic timing to make that make like a lot of sense and like hit or be fun, frankly. Yeah. So I was, yeah, struggling with it. I think primarily because of the performances and it would have been a little nice if there was a little more like energetic direction. And I felt that with Glengarry Glen Ross where it's just like, oh, it's just nonstop. It's just, you're just sweating the entire time watching yeah, but Glengarry Glen Ross, I feel it's kind of more insulated than it is. Most of these movies, right? S- strangely, it is. Yeah, right. like that is definitely stagey just because of the way that the script is, is structured. Mm-hmm. And I'll say this too, like, yes, it takes a smart actor. Yes, it takes an energetic actor. It, it, there is a specific thing. Like, I watched the film version of American Buffalo. Yeah. Uh, when Rockwell did it on stage, when Fishburne did it on stage, it was breathtaking. Mm-hmm. The movie has Dennis Franz and uh, and Dustin Hoffman okay. in the leads. Interesting. And you would think like, fuck yeah, Dustin Hoffman, that is the perfect guy for this kind of material. And I think Pacino originally did American Buffalo on Broadway, I think during its revival. Uh, and Hoffman doesn't really work in the movie in the way that Sam Rockwell does. Yep. So like, I'm not even sure it's caliber of actor. There is just like a, a specific way of speaking that if you you can either do it or you can't do it. Yes, it's like I agree. you can either sing or you can't sing. Mm-hmm. Either you're in tune or you're not in tune. Yeah. It doesn't matter how much you look at sheet music. It doesn't matter how many scales you run through. It's like you either got it or you don't got it. Yeah. And Glengarry Glen Ross was one of those things where it's like every major movie star wanted a piece of Glengarry Glen Ross, <laughs> but like only fucking Pacino and Jack Lemmon can yeah. really do this dialogue. Yes. Like only, th- and it's just like they have it. It's like you either have it or you don't. Um, and so yeah, I'm with you on that. Like it, it's hard. It's a hard casting thing. Sometimes the best scripts, sometimes the juiciest dialogue is the stuff that's hardest to cast for. You know. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like you read it and it sounds enthralling, and then you try to speak it, and it's like, oh my god, how do you how do you nail this rhythm? Right. And I didn't think they had dialed that in uh, perfectly and like i said before it would have been a little bit better if i was just a little more uh uh, like stirred up in the direction and i just i just wasn't yeah frankly so uh i'm sorry (laughs) i'm very upset because i saw this movie and i'm like god this is one of my favorites already like because this this is gonna continue to happen (laughs) on it's gonna be there's there's one saving grace with homicide but we'll we'll get there 
All right, let's talk about it now. Yeah. 1991's Homicide. Homicide. Starring Joe Montana, once again, and William H. Macy, one of Mammoth's frequent collaborators. A Jewish homicide detective investigates a seemingly minor murder and falls in with a Zionist group as a result. Again, box office bomb only made $2.9 million. Yes. Uh, both these movies, though, restored by the Criterion Collection. You can get both of these mm-hmm. on Criterion. Uh, so the more I, I, I was thinking about all of these movies, I, again, like I think House of Games and Spanish Prisoner and Glengarry, I think all are, to me at least, very watchable, like just very entertaining fucking uh, hoots and hollers, right? I feel like Homicide is the best one, though. I feel like Homicide low-key might be the best movie on this list. And I think it's it's not only because it has something really profound and true to say about human nature and race relations and the idea of like living in a city with a corrupt police force that doesn't care about you, but it's also material that's like very much suited to Mammoth's dialogue and way mm. of talking. Uh, it's kind of a movie about language and about vulgarity and how people sort of casually throw around racist language and cruel language That's true. Uh, to, to cut each other down. Um, you know, in most Mammoth movies, the dialogue is played for laughs. Like when Pacino calls Kevin Spacey a stupid fucking cunt. Yeah. Like you laugh at that. Like there's something about it, although kind of gross is also like <laughs> strangely funny in a dark way. Mm-hmm. But here it's like the dialogue is used as a weapon. Yeah. It is violence mm-hmm. in this movie. Um, and I, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like this might be the perfect deployment of whatever Mammoth is going for in most of his movies. Do you agree with that? Perhaps that level of aggression, yeah. It has the most ideas, that's for sure. It has the it certainly has the most to say, and probably the one where it's like, you know, I mean it to me it's a movie that is taking on a lot, but at least some of that stuff sticks, particularly with that that pull away shot with the end which i found to be quite poetic and interesting um and it's just rough and dark and nasty in all those right ways dealing with like a very unique perspective of the jewish experience that i've never heard before so i kind of liked that yes uh and that sort of like <laughs> i mean catholic guilt is a real thing in cinema but this kind of jewish guilt was very unusual yes and it was that so I, I actually really appreciated that and i like how the story extends that all the way through to the end it's very, very much like embedded in the entire dna of the movie it is my favorite of um now I'm, I'm trying to think this is it my favorite of of, of mammoth's films here of the four he directed? Oh, okay, yeah. Of the of the four he directed, no, it's my second favorite. Okay. Just just because there is the most there there. Uh and you know, that Roger Deacon cinematography is nice. As yeah, it, as it always is. Pretty I'm, good. I'm like, wow, you got the Deacon. man can hold a camera. Yeah, you can, bro. <laughs> yeah, I I do contend like it, I I found it to be fine mm. personally. And, and it, but for similar reasons, because I just thought Joe Montana was just bringing this shit down half the time. I just didn't like him. I didn't think he had 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 the chops. For, Do you generally for not like him in movies? I, can, I I was trying to like place where I had seen him in other stuff, but like the you know for the movies I saw here, yeah, I didn't like him at all. So it was a. Little... Are you a big Criminal Minds head? Oh, that's right, Criminal Minds. <laughs> I was like, why does this look familiar? <laughs> no, I'm not. Or a... Fat Tony from The Simpsons would be the other. 
major point of reference. Is he Fat Tony? Yeah. Ah, I, I like Fat Tony, I guess, is my favorite character that he's played. <laughs> That's your favorite Montana You're, you're well suited for Fat Tony, but nobody else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it's similarly, yeah, I just I just think every line delivery he gives is just so wooden, and I'm, I'm, I'm just not there. I don't totally buy it. Um, it just feels like he's struggling to develop chemistry with, like, Will Macy a lot of the time. You liked Macy in it, though. I liked him enough, yeah. I mean, he's not in it for that much, but yeah. you know, he's good. He's good as he as he usually is. He's he's much better in a film coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was it 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 was yeah. I I I feel comfortable enough calling it a good movie. It doesn't really bother me. It's not something I would probably watch again, but you know, uh, I I admire it a lot. I'll say that. So are we scoring it one one? I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> I just admire it. That's crazy. To, like I don't know. Like I found this movie. Obviously, I'm not Jewish. I don't have any of the <laughs> Jewish guilt that you're talking about. But you're right. Like that is not really a theme that I see explored in in mainstream movies all that often. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, yeah, Catholic guilt is the primary one. Yeah. Right, and it's kind of weird because like so much of Hollywood and so many mainstream filmmakers are Jewish. <laughs> um, you know, it's an industry that you know, Jewish people essentially built. Um, but yeah, I, I, the idea of like a, a, a Jew that has like not really renounced his faith, but sort of drifted away from it. Yeah. And sort of coming to terms with like turning his back on his people. Um, and again, just like also the way that, that people just like so casually engage in acts of violence against each other. Like at the end of the movie, when Montaigne drops the N word, like that to me is a lot like that's like in the Northman seeing a guy get his head chopped off. It's like, <laughs> holy shit. Yeah. Here's a guy who for the for the majority of the movie sort of sees beyond race or so you think is able to sort of like transcend this very, you know, petty racial warfare in the inner city. And, you know, he has this feud with this black cop, but he never like gets out of line. And then at the end for him to just like drop the N word and like. I don't know. Like it's very to me. Like the the casualness of all of it. The again, the way that Mamet just sort of revels in the vulgar and revels in yeah. the in the cruel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just find really fucking effective and kind of like The Wire in that way. It's a it's a yeah. it's a predecessor of The Wire. The idea that this is a cop that just shows up to a crime scene and he's like, pretend I wasn't here. I do not want to catch this homicide <laughs> right now. You know, I I don't want to be involved in this. Um. Yeah, like, I don't know. I found it so real and so palpable, and I didn't find it to be showy for the sake of being showy. I didn't find the dialogue to be just sort of superfluous, and uh, and uh, it didn't really call attention to itself in that way. You know, I found it to be very real. It's the well, like you said though, because it's 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 suited for this world so well in a way that for me anyway, it it didn't quite suit uh, uh, something like you know House of Games for example. I mean, maybe it does, but it didn't feel as real. For example, that felt a little more like like stagey in in, in how it, it it set up that world and those characters. Whereas this, it's like, oh yeah, of course you're going to be throwing r- r- uh, you know racial slurs towards everybody in this you know terrible city, regardless of who you are, you know, and no, no one's going to bat an eye. That's just part of this disgusting world we're in and that's cool yeah yeah but and there's also like movie stuff in it too and that's the thing that i love about his movies like (laughs) there's still shootouts there's still like you know bombings of of convenience stores like the opening is very good it's really fucking good it's my favorite but that's it's my favorite good action in this it's my favorite part of the movie the opening it's like ooh, because it was the first one that i watched and i was very excited and i love the opening it just it never quite 
reach that high. I thought the climax was pretty good too, though. The the running through the the abandoned building, I thought was pretty good. I guess. Yeah. I'm very I'm very muted on it. I'll say. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. This to me, I was I was thinking back on it. It's like yeah. Again, House of Games. I I will rewatch time and time again. And same with the Spanish Prisoner. Like, you know, it's just like a fun game of a movie, but. Homicide was the one where I'm like, he's really getting at something here that I don't think he gets at again. Um, it's his most mature film by a mile, yeah. I would say. Yeah. yeah. So there is that. Yeah. And th- this, like, because like, one of the things I will say about, like, even my my favorite film that he directed on this list, which I had a blast with, but it's a very disposable movie. And mm. even though I didn't have as much fun with Homicide, I'm not, I wouldn't, I'd, I'm not sure I'd dare call this one a disposable film. It's not quite that. It's It's reaching for something a little more important. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm really bummed out. <laughs> I'm bummed out right now. I thought you were going to love these. Because uh, no. I just, I blew through a bunch of fucking mammoth this week. And I just watched <laughs> some of these again and I was having yeah. a great time. I don't know. It's your kind of guy though. Yeah, he yep. is. No, as a director, that's just, that's the other big thing. It's just like, mm, he, he needs, he needs like, he needs like one other dude helping him direct some of this stuff just to give it a little more punch. I don't know. Isn't Deacons like a pretty good co-pilot? Can be, yeah. This yeah. is it's close, but not not quite there. It's close, very close. <laughs> Spanish prisoner. <laughs> you should hop on film Twitter this week. You oh should just give God. your two cents. You should just be like, actually, this mammoth guy's a fucking hack. <laughs> Did you watch? The- no, no, I wouldn't do that. He's not a hack. He's not a hack. It's. <laughs> But he's yeah, I, I'm getting a lot of like Sorkin vibes from like his turn to directing. Moving on, <laughs> moving on. 1992's Glengarry Glen Ross, uh, directed as you said by James Foley, who went on to make two of the great movies of the uh, of the 2010s: Fifty Shades Darker and Fifty Shades Freed. I was gonna ask because this is like could be the winner. Are we gonna induct a film by the director of? <laughs> Fifty Shades of Grey? No, not even Fifty Shades of Grey. Not even. He didn't even do the first one. They brought no, him in for the sequel. That's right. That's right. That's right. He yeah, did yeah, the, yeah. the two other that's ones. That's right. The w- <laughs> they couldn't even let him bat lead off in that series. Oh my god, I totally forgot about. You're that. gonna do the Fifty Shades sequels, my guy. Mm-hmm. That's where you are with your career. Oh my god. Bizarre career for James Foley, starring Al Pacino, Jack Lemmon, Alec Baldwin, Alan Arkin. Ed Harris, Kevin Spacey, and Jonathan Price nominated for one Academy Award that year. It was for Al Pacino in a uh, Best Supporting Actor yeah. spot. Uh, an examination of the machinations behind the scenes at a real estate office. Uh, this is the iconic Mammoth script, the iconic Mammoth play, the iconic Mammoth thing. Uh, based on his own experience working in a real estate office, as essentially the Williamson character while he was in New York City struggling to make it as a playwright. Uh, so a lot of this stuff is based on his own experience, obviously. Uh, Feels like it. Yes, with some hyperbole, I would say. Sure, but, <laughs> but this is a very uh, strangely personal, raw, fucking mean movie. But also a very funny movie. <laughs> I put it on again last night because, as you know, it's one of my 10 favorite movies ever. I talk about it all the time. Yeah. I quote it all the time. 
uh god damn it is this movie good like yes yes it's extremely good like do you like get that when you're watching mad max for like the 50th time and you're just like god damn it this movie's good like as many times as you see it you can still be reminded like how much it holds up on so many levels not to tip my hat a little bit but i just did a mad max marathon and i had a similar like yeah i did again i can't stop i cannot stop it's kind of like flexing in the mirror and you're like god i got some guns and everyone's like looking at me and rolling their eyes like he does this every morning every morning he does this (laughs) so last night i just had glenn gary going on in the background and i'm like fuck dude yes first of all Forgot how much rain there was in that movie. Yeah, that's right. It is so wet. (laughs) As much as you want to say about this being, again, like an insulated filmed play, like it really does work on a a directing, on a cinematic level. Like Foley's doing some pans and some zooms and the the use of color, particularly at like the Chinese restaurant, the the way that Mm. the streetlights reflect off of, uh, of car windows and... Again, just the 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 moisture. It's so <laughs> wet. And I had, ended up reading a fun fact. The most expensive line item on the budget was the rain. Wow, look at that. That was the most expensive line item in the budget. Very interesting. Uh, yeah, I was kind of shocked like how well it held up as a movie. Because obviously you remember the Alec Baldwin scene. You remember the second half. You remember just these these great actors going to war with one another and engaging in this delicate game of ping pong. And you really do forget that there is some stuff going on behind the camera. That was the one thing I took away from sure, yeah. my viewing last night. Yeah. I mean, it's a great movie. It's a great movie. It's yeah, it's, it's my favorite on this list, but like, you know, of course it is. It's got a great sense of timing too. And I think that's the important thing to nail with a, any sort of script like this is like just knowing how to direct your actors and how to cut around them. It's just as particularly in the scene where it's Kevin Spacey figures out uh, Jack Lemon and that nice lull and the kind of close up on his face and all that stuff. And where he just slowly, you know, how'd you know I made it up? What? <laughs> Quit just, fucking with me. Yeah, it's just mm, just really, really, really good stuff. Very careful. And again, it's it's that 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 similar notion where it's like this movie is like constantly like spewing vitriol. You know, it's like it's you're just drenched in. It. It's a really disgusting movie in that way. But when you get to that part, it just feels so different. It feels even worse than the stuff that came before. I just love that careful direction for for for, for, for everything. Yeah, it's it's just yeah. I I, I was I, when I watched it too. It was tipped off to me by uh, a lawyer, actually, a lawyer friend of mine who, like, loves... It's, like, his favorite movie as well. He's just like, Adam, you Makes should, a lot of sense. Yeah, it's like, you should see this movie. It's the it's the best. And I had known, like, it was based off of a play. And, you, and you know, I, I can kind of go either way on films based on, on, like, contained plays. But this is a movie that really, really, really moves. And I'm not sure if, if Mamet was directing it that it would have had that same energy, funny enough. Yeah. Like, is, and that's, the, like, why, like, even though it is a contained thing, like, this movie is just cocaine-infused all the way through. And yeah. it really doesn't stop. It's, like, one of the f- first, like, anxiety movies you're gonna... I mean, that's a good example. Like, I can see a lot of Ben Safdie, or the Safdie brothers in general in this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just really on. This movie's always on. Yes. And it just doesn't let go, and it's tough, but, like, it is... It's thrilling, and you just go like, oh, when you're done with it. Yes. In a very depressing but, but way. But also you're like, oh. Yeah, exactly. But it's weird because there was a whole culture of both movie watcher and just like white collar person in general mm-hmm. that watched this movie, and it's like, yeah, fucking real estate. Like, and, and, you know, it's like the same people that that watch The Wolf of Wall Street or the same people that watch Boiler Room, which is very oh, yeah. much based on this movie. And they're like, yeah, this sounds 
great. Like I definitely, uh, I, they're they're enticed by this world. It's kind of alluring to them. Um, it's not. It's it's. But funny. to me, like I, I look at it, I'm like, this is just. This is hell. I think it's really depressing. But it's kind of interesting that like a lawyer friend recommended it to you. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I do kind of imagine that person in my head and I'm like, oh, got it. They were yeah. like coffees for closers. <laughs> yeah, you're not too far off. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. did kind of have that feeling where I was like, yeah, I see why he would like this. But I'm, I, I also thought like, I'm not sure he understood like like the, the greater subtext of this movie. Like he enjoyed it more than he probably should given his profession. So yes. I was like, yeah. Yeah, like, like I'm like I'm not sure this movie would have been kind to people like you, dude. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, I, I was also thinking about this in uh, in reference to American Buffalo because it's another two act play. A lot of Mammoth stage plays were two act plays, um, and it definitely feels that way when you're watching. It's like, oh, I see exactly where the intermission was here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but again, American Buffalo just copy and pastes the stage play and puts it on the screen and doesn't really, you know, do a lot of cinema stuff in order to translate it. Whereas Mamet actually rewrote this play for mm. the screen. And I think he took some of the lessons that he learned from directing a bunch of his own movies up until this point and actually added, for example, the Alec Baldwin character. The Alec Baldwin character is not in the mm. original Glengarry Glen Ross play. Now, if you see like an off-Broadway version of it, the Alec Baldwin scene is in it, um, of course. Uh, but like so much of this stuff uh, w- was put directly into the movie to make it more cinematic. And I think that definitely comes through. But also, yeah, the stuff that's happening behind the camera here, like Foley does really uh, give you a sense of place in this room. Like it's it's not just like you get the sense like when you're when you're watching something on the stage like there needs to be a lot of buy-in from you like you're obviously looking at an artifice you can see the curtain right next to where the actors are there's a bunch of people sitting next to you and you have to just sort of trick your mind into believing that you are in this room with this person got to project a lot yes with that stuff yeah. you can't really do that in movies just because of the way that the camera moves and also the fact that it's you know, it, it's the director's point of view that you're seeing the whole thing through. Mm. Uh, and I think where a lot of uh, stage adaptations fall short in in the case of something like, I don't know, Denzel Washington's Fences, right, <laughs> is that they sort of ask the audience to buy in yet again. And the rooms that these people uh, are are acting in feel like a stage, even though you're watching it on a screen. Whereas this one, Glengarry Glenn Ross, I'm talking about now. It actually immerses you in that office, immerses you in the Chinese restaurant, immerses you in the car. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I just think it's like a, an underrated uh, directorial effort here. Well, when you're watching something like this and you kind of feel the desk next to you or the, or the rain or the car and that and you can smell it, yes. that, that that's a good uh, sign of that. This is a this, this is a film that like understand how to make it really feel visceral and cinematic, you know, because I, I have seen. Yeah, we have plenty of like like I kind of felt that way personally. Um, you know, I, I, movie I, I do like, by the way, but like I sort of felt like this the staginess of like or the play factor of like his girl Friday. Mm-hmm. Where it's just like it is kind of just like a film play. I, I didn't find that to be like an immersive experience. I just loved like like being pummeled by that dialogue. Yeah, that's also the era too. Yeah, yeah, a little bit different. But yeah. but this is one where you are very much there. So it's very cinematic in that way. It's that immersive quality. I agree. Yeah. 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 Uh again, I mean I can just quote the entire movie if you <laughs> want me to. I I won't here. It's uh, great. No, this is a great, great, great movie. And yeah. I, I did want to mention 
Jack Lemon here. Oh my God, Jack Lemon. The other thing, just on the rewatch, I'm like, has a guy ever at this stage in his career weaponized all of the the built up uh the 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 uh the sort of the image yeah i don't not even image just like the trust and love that we have for him as an actor because all the movies he did in the 60s and the 70s were kind of like screwball comedies like the apartment or some like it hot Mm. and he was bumbling and he was kind of a goof but he was lovable in that way Mm. and as he aged what he realized and what what mamet realizes in this movie is that he becomes a guy that again you don't hate but you pity and that's the thing about like the bumbliness that was once charming in those early movies becomes so desperate yeah and so pitiful in this it's so sad though and lemon just just weaponizes that shit immaculately here like Mm -hmm. he's it's an unbelievable performance like the scene where he's trying to sell the the real estate to the when he walks into the guy's house and his mm-hmm. wife isn't home and the guy is clearly trying to get him out and he just won't leave yeah. <laughs> like there's just something about it um and the other thing too like if you think mamet is just like a, a sorkin-esque uh just writer of dialogue and dialogue alone there is a lot of character stuff really built in here to mm-hmm. this dialogue. The relationship between Pacino and Lemon in particular, the way oh, that yeah, Pacino yeah. admires him and loves him and respects him. He's this dinosaur and clearly like the industry has passed him by, but he's still the fucking machine, man. <laughs> you said fuck the machine. Fuck the machine. Like <laughs> the history that those two have, the respect, the admir- admiration, the love, the scene where they're, 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 they're pulling the con essentially on Jonathan Price. Yeah. Like there's so much there. There's so much history. There's so much texture mm-hmm. uh, to these two people. I, it's a fucking great movie, man. Yes, I fucking I agree. love it. Yeah. Jesus yeah. Christ. All that stuff you just said too about playing up like the uh, the public perception of someone like Jack Lemon and sort of loving what he is and then the the the, the, the jokiness kind of becoming his downfall. It just kind of makes that ending so tragic. Are we still kind of trying to hold on yeah, to it? Yeah, imagine the guy yeah. from the apartment yeah, yeah, is yeah. now selling real estate. Exactly. And, yeah. he's, and he's pushed in to see him like, like, you know, like the kiss my ass line and stuff like that. It's just the fact that he's here now. Oh God, what happened to you, man? Exactly. It's really, really clever. Yeah. Yeah, like at a certain age, it's no longer cute to be a doofus, you know? Yeah. At exactly. a certain age, like you're not handsome enough, you're not charming enough. It's yeah. just... With the money, when he's showing the money to, to, to Kevin... To Kevin Spacey and then it's just like no dude I'm not I'm not fucking around it's just like oh shit right yeah uh yeah it's uh I really can't think of another performance quite like it it's my favorite performance in the movie let me just yeah. be perfectly honest because I feel like the the Alec Baldwin scene kind of overshadows a lot of people's conversation about yeah, the it's movie. become the whole movie and, and it's, yeah. it's actually frustrating because the rest of the I actually this is one of those movies where it's like I don't just watch it for that one scene the whole thing is an experience and I just I want that and I want that end scene to happen and, I, and that's primarily because of the journey you have with Jack Lemmon's character and it's just crushing yeah I really get a lot out of that one and he's He's too good. He's just so good in this movie, man. He's, so He's good. extraordinarily good in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Mamet has sort of been lumped in with Sorkin. Again, the, the, one of the major criticisms is Sorkin uses his characters to espouse whatever Sorkin is feeling in a particular moment. <laughs> yeah. And they're, they're just sort of mouthpieces to say whatever he believes. Uh, I mean, here, part of it is the performances, too. Like, all of these guys are just at the top of their game. But... Um, yeah, it's it's just great character work. It's just yes. it's, it's a great, great, great piece of screenwriting. I agree. Um, hey, I mean, it, it won a 
Pulitzer, bro. Yeah. <laughs> what do you What do you want? We're talking. We're talking. We're saying. You know what? Revelation. Glengarry Glen Ross. That's a great script. It's not a bad script. It's, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, so it's not bad. Here I am flexing in front of the mirror again. <laughs> exactly. I look good. That was pretty. Guys, did you know that this is a good script? <laughs> Oh man, that's Glengarry. Yeah. Really uh, I think has a pretty good shot here. Yes, to get in this the, movie Hall of Fame. The only shot James Foley's ever gonna have. <laughs> so, <laughs> wait till Fifty Shades Dominion in a couple Dominion. years. Dominion, <laughs> yes, let's go. <laughs> now you must be wondering why we're doing Fifty Shades in Jurassic Park. Yeah, well, fear not, <laughs> fear not. All right, here we go. We're going to fast forward now to 1997, five years later, with The Spanish Prisoner, starring Steve Martin, Ben Gazzara, Felicity Huffman, Ricky Jay, and Rebecca Pigeon, Mrs. David Mamet herself. Mm. An employee of a corporation with a lucrative secret process is tempted to betray it, but there is more to it than that. The process. This was a counselor moment the entire (laughs) way through. It's a MacGuffin. I don't know. Yeah, it's a Mac- what the hell is the MacGuffin? <laughs> it it's doesn't pro- matter. It's the process. Do bro. the leads matter? Do the Glengarry no, leads matter? No, nothing matters. <laughs> so who cares? It's I don't pro- know. I just cracked me up every time. I got the process. You got the process. Oh, I got the process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was the one, the movie, when I watched it, I'm like, oh, yeah, there is a lot of Hitchcock here. The, the scene there is, at yeah. the end with the... The airport, the metal detector at the airport, and you see the gun go through it. And it's like, oh, that is such a Hitchcock thing. Yeah. 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 Uh, this is the one drama that Steve Martin made in the 90s. A lot of people thought it was going to spawn this whole second career with, with Steve Martin doing uh, you know, dramatic work. Or uh, This is not really dramatic. This is kind of like drama adjacent work. Um, but he didn't. He ended up making like cheaper by the dozen movies after this. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I think that's a shame because I think he's good in this. I don't know. What did you think? Miscast. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. The whole movie's miscast. Oh. Yeah. Whole movie miscast. Uh, few problems. I don't know what the fuck's going on in this movie. So that's a big issue, I guess. I guess. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. It, it's not. It's not an issue in something like um, uh, the Big Chill, just because that there's something about those character actors and that dialogue that is just that much more juicy to me it's like you can just listen to these people talk about eating a ham sandwich and it's still fun Mm. (laughs) uh this is another problem cast the right people to sell your script because i was like is this a bad script or are these actors bad Hmm. yeah (laughs) that's where i was at with this one uh also yeah like like snooze it's hmm. really bored, really, really bored. And part again, it's just this combat, this is chemistry. You know, do you not like con man movies? I I love. I mean, I love the Sting. Love the Sting. I like. I, you know, I like. I like con man movies. What, what, name but you, some. It doesn't feel like you love them in the way that I love them. Not in the way that you love them. No, no, yeah. probably not. You'd have to. No, I mean, Sting is one of my favorite movies, or The Sting, one of my favorites. You know, I mean, I guess if you're counting the Ocean's films, I really like those. Yeah, in some way. Have you seen Matchstick Men? Yeah, Matchstick Men rocks. That's yeah, a good one. yeah, really good one. Okay. Yeah, great director. Nick Cage is in it. Yeah, I. I same focus. Type. <laughs> focus is fun. <laughs> focus is is a sizzling hot okay movie. Uh, but I yeah, I had the same problems here. I'm like the direction is so kind of like like competent. The actors are also like bad to competent, and I just was don't... Rebecca Pigeon the problem. Be honest. Name names. 
Oh God! I mean, the 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 lead in this has about as much command as a paper bag. So there is okay, that. Th- this but, one though, it felt very intentional. Like it's no way like yeah, you cast is. someone that boring, it, it, unless their boringness is going to be weaponized for your game. I don't know. I feel like I've seen this idea done before, where he's just like a regular guy, and you still make him kind of fun. You know, I I that's that at least make the guy like exciting to see at least at least you know make me invested in his plight mm. i wasn't particularly interested one way or another if steve martin shot him at the end it wasn't didn't really cross my mind mm-hmm. and you know i didn't care what happened with steve martin and i you know for at some point sort of forgot he was in the movie yeah it's it's like okay it's it, to t- talk about like why i'm not interested it's like well i don't really know what's going on in this story but that's not always a problem but then it's like, I don't really care about these characters and I don't think the performances are all that great. So I'm not entertained by that. And then the direction is just not lively or interesting enough to keep me like locked in. I'm just, it's just, a, again, similar to uh, House of Games. It's just so, you know, like it just plateaus right out of the gate for me. I will agree with you in saying that this is probably the most middle of the road movie yeah. on the list. Like it, it's very safe. Yes. Um, it's kind of just taking house of games and, you know, evolving it, one upping it, uh, guess, adding yeah. extra layers on top of it felt kind of like Mamet was again, putting himself in a box to see if he can get out of it. It doesn't swear at all. That was cool. No, PG rated movie. PG rated. You know, and I will say that was surprising, given the, the the genre of movie it is. It's surprising that this is a PG rated. Considering movie. it's the king of vulgarity himself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No swear words in it. I loved this uh, excerpt from Roger Ebert's review yeah, yeah, of I've the movie. Uh, his characters often speak as if they're wary of the world, afraid of being misquoted, reluctant to say what's on their minds. As a protective shield, they fall into precise legalisms, invoking old sayings as if they're magic charms. Often, they punctuate their dialogue with four-letter words. But in The Spanish Prisoner, there's not a single obscenity. And we picture Mamet with a proud grin on his face, collecting his very first PG rating. Uh, I don't know. I just thought that that was a nice way of articulating exactly what Mamet speak is, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he does that. Like, he is able to maintain his voice while eliminating all of the swears you know yeah i will agree with that yeah too it's it's like it's a nice given how you know this guy sometimes feels like he can't even contain himself that he was able to rein it in in this way yeah yep by the way though his wife in this yeah she's she's not there she's not that great in this one yeah she's in this one yeah she's not like really a convincing femme fatale but with state of maine which we're going to get to in a second like she is allowed to be earnest in that movie yes and it is his most earnest movie in a lot of ways Casting. Yeah. Casting. Right. I I do agree with that. And I I share your thing with Ben Gazzara to a certain extent. But again, I feel like, you know, if you're going to make a movie about a loser that is seduced by this criminal underworld that, you know, wants to fight back on this system that's crushing him. uh, Yeah, I I don't know. That seems like a pretty good guy to cast. I I know, like, you make excuses for a guy being boring by saying he's supposed to be boring. But I'm getting very wary of that that uh um pass yeah it's just been happening so often and it's like can i just get someone that's fun could you just you know do do the thing properly yeah Yeah, i don't know you know it's i'm getting tired of it yeah (laughs) frankly but uh the carter burwell score did you like that very obviously carter burwell score yeah yeah I, i guess i liked it i can't say again it's like i can't say i remember that much of it but it was you know, distinct enough. Yeah, it's it's. It, it, I will say this: I remember the score in this over probably all the other films. So there. So yeah, sure. Um. Yeah. I. 
again, I'm just such a sucker for this kind of material. So mm-hmm. this is just con upon con upon con. Like it is perhaps the most elaborate con man movie <laughs> I've ever seen. And I, like, I don't know. I liked it. I liked being assaulted by <laughs> the script in many ways. And that's how, how I kind of felt about this movie. Like, at the end of it, like, you're not even sure it's over. When the yeah, movie, when the credits roll, you're like, wait a minute, is there no- another shoe to uh, drop? <laughs> is there another thing that's about to be revealed? Like, are these agents actually agents? Are they are they part of the con? It's like, is this going to go on for another month, another year? What else is, you know, are they trying to steal? It's insane. Like, it's almost it's rid- crazy. It's I mean, almost ridiculous. <laughs> the con is so obvious at the beginning and uh-huh. it is solved an hour in. And you're like, wait a minute, there's 40 more minutes to this movie. What are they going to do? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, I, I loved that Mamet just kept like outdoing himself. You know, I, I really liked that, um, okay. that part of it. Whereas you look at house of games now and it's kind of quaint compared to the, the plot of this. Movie. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, I almost would have liked it more if it was a comedy just because the amount of conning going on is just so absurd. Yeah. And it's like, when, when is this going to end? Cause you're, you're either going to fall on like two spectrums where you just like, you love being assaulted by the cons or you start rolling your eyes like, really? Mm. Wow. And you were kind of doing that. Yeah, exactly. So. Okay. So, uh, Yeah, I, I would say it's probably the weakest movie on the list, if I had to pick one. Um, and also just because it's so much like House of Games. They're yeah, really sister movies in so many ways. Um, but, eh, I don't know. 97. I mean, yeah, 97 is... It's a good year for movies, so you know it's it came out during a a, a, a tough lineup. It came out during Starship Troopers, man. Come on, it's true. Yeah, no movie. other major films, no other in ma- theaters that year. Starship Troopers was it, if you can believe it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can't think of anything anyone was seeing in a theater in 1997. No, like, yeah, no. Nah, well, well. <laughs> Nothing, but not 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 the biggest movie ever made or anything like that. No, no not no movies at all. No, what am I saying? Starship Troopers was the biggest movie right, ever made. Right, right. <laughs> I'm racking my brain now, searching for another <laughs> obscure '97 movie, yeah. and nothing's coming. To me. <laughs> it's like the one movie of '97. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I could, I'm totally blanking. That's funny. Insert good joke here. All right. <laughs> The Lion King? No. Or is that 98? That was 94. 94. Oh, it was 94. That's right. Oh, well, there we go. Yeah. Uh, good Lion King Good Lion King remake we saw in the theater today, didn't you think? <laughs> they, they, it was... Dude, best, the Northman be, is fucking wild, dude. Best live action remake of The Lion King that they've made. And oh, they've made a few now. They've made a couple. <laughs> Perry Jenkins is working on another one. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is the best one. The fucking Northman. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. We'll talk plenty on the other show. That's a wild movie. What the fuck was that movie? (laughs) Uh, All right. Let's round it off right now with a movie from 2000. It's called State and Maine. Uh, Certainly Mammoth's uh, least seen of the five, Mm. uh, but many consider this to be the sort of lost forgotten masterpiece starring Philip Seymour Hoffman, William H. Macy, Rebecca Pigeon, Clark Gregg, Alec Baldwin, Sarah Jessica Parker, David Paymer. Oh my goodness gracious. Is he good in this movie? And Julia styles, a movie crew invades a small town whose residents are all too ready to give up their values for showbiz glitz. Um, this is mammoth's only overt comedy. Okay. Um, 
it is, uh, you know, uh, it is not uh, unfamiliar territory for Mamet. He has definitely made movies with a comedic tilt to it. And as you said, like Glengarry Glenn Ross is a very funny movie. But this is the first movie that is blatantly satirical. Yes. You know, and is going for very overt laughs. And that's why I wanted to include it here. Just because, again, I'm watching American Buffalo, the movie, and I'm comparing it to the stage play. And it's like, if you know how to deliver the dialogue in a right way, you can get laughs. But if you don't do it in the right way, it like the the movie American Buffalo, like is a straight drama. Whereas Rockwell on stage, just he pauses in the right way. He he just knows exactly how to enunciate certain words in the sentence. And the audience is just dying of laughter. Mm. And it's a really interesting tightrope to walk when you're doing mammoth material. But this was the first time where he's like, we are just going for laughs. Everybody just ham it up in this. Which is fine. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, aside from Glengarry Glen Ross, favorite movie by far. Yeah, that's pretty wild. On this list. not even, It wasn't even close. And I was kind of shocked because I saw, I, I had read a little bit about it and I heard that it was an over comedy. And I'm like, eh, do I really need this? Uh, but like you said, everyone is cast perfectly everyone understands this material like the back of their hand it is just a it is the most finely tuned of 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 all of them and, and maybe that's the key ingredient here just understanding the script understanding the material as thoroughly as everybody does in this film and it is just joke after joke and it's 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 a delightful watch you know i just you, you hang back and you watch this movie and you just love what these people are doing and you love i mean just christ it's like I, I, give me more of this philip seymour hoffman you can't now but uh, God, they I only worked together once. I, he's really good in this movie. Uh, really fucking good in this movie. He should have done like ten more mammoths. I know. Like, you know what I mean? Like, could you imagine? Could you imagine him in House of Games? Like, yeah, imagine would, him doing that. You know that character. That would imagine him as the lead in in Spanish Prisoner. It would have. Th- there you go. There, you know, there's a great example of like he can be kind of a normal guy, but you can also be you know Philip Seymour Hoffman. Right. I, I like. Yeah, that's a great example where it's like he can, he can play schlubby. Both. Right. Yeah. 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 And there's a lovability to that character, and there's a distinction. Like I can pick that guy out, uh, and in a way that's sort of fitting for the Spanish Prisoner character to a degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he's great in this movie. Dude. Everybody's great in this movie, and it's also a movie where everyone is not just in tune with the material and the director but themselves like everyone is just loving the time that they have together sarah jessica parker's really good in this movie she is good she's very good yeah, in this movie. i know like like i i was missing the scenes with her she, everything she did was great yeah uh just the fact that there are, the conflicts in this movie are funny just the fact that there's a good like half an hour of the movie where they're just trying to settle this conflict about a girl showing her tits <laughs> Most of America can draw it by hand, by memory. <laughs> but she doesn't want to show her tits. It's great stuff. Dude, there is no better punchline. Talk about like a punchline that the movie builds to of of the revelation that she's playing a nun. In the movie. <laughs> like it's funny. the whole time uh, we're talking about loss of innocence, sexual like prudeness, prudishness. <laughs> She's a nun? Like when I I actually sat up, I'm like, no way. <laughs> that is just like a diabolical joke. That is, crazy. that is a perfect button at the end of this movie that she's literally playing a nun. Oh man. My dad liked it too. My dad was watching this with me. He's like, that's good stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like a very gentle satire. And yes. I think that's what I liked about it. It felt kind of Hal Ashby in that way. I can see that. You yeah. know what I mean? Like Hashby made movies like Being There, which were very sort of biting and critical of the American political system, 
but we're also told with like a real like sort of gentleness and care and the characters at the center are actually likable nice people it's it's not like for example like an adam mckay social satire right that's mean and that's the right big distinction yeah and and that's what i kind of loved about this like it is certainly very critical of the movie industry and it's clearly made by someone that has had his uh, <laughs> fair share of bumps in the movie industry um but like he also really likes these people and it's earnest and yeah you know yeah. there's earnest there's an earnest love story at the center of this and like they make it out okay. Well, I was surprised by the end of it that they actually made the movie because I'm, I'm the entire time I'm trying to decide like, is this going to fall apart? Uh, are they? Do, do they deserve to make this movie? Mm. And and the the tone of it was suggesting that no, they should probably finish this thing. Yeah, right. And I was very happy that they did. And I was like, it, it, it was able to successfully have its cake and eat it too in that way. But I, it, like you said, it's very clear that like there is a lot of affection for these type of creative forces in the industry where it's like he doesn't necessarily want to ruin these people's lives, but he just wants to point out why they're idiots. Now, they're only able to make the movie because they bribe a, a prosecutor <laughs> Again, though, broad comedy. In a statutory rape case. (laughs) You know, like we should put it into perspective here. But if this is someone outside of the, at least he's he's also careful to comment like just because you're not in the movie industry that doesn't mean you're 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 perfect either you know yes so, especially the politicians so like again there so. there is still a, a, a hypercritical bent to the yeah. commentary yeah. here but like yeah you do enjoy hanging out in this town like it's kind of an, they're in Vermont right or Vermont or New Hampshire I think it's New Hampshire it's New Hampshire okay I was watching it I'm just like it's this is just like like season zero point five. Of, of Gilmore Girls before they moved into town. It just felt like Gilmore Girls. And I love Gilmore Girls. Yeah. So, But it's just kind of like a quaint, nice town with like yeah. some weird shit going on, but nothing too weird. You know, there was no. a mill that burnt down. <laughs> the old, That's a great line, too. The old mill that burnt down. <laughs> we I, can't use the mill. Because <laughs> it burnt. <laughs> when? 1962. <laughs> <laughs> that was good stuff. Yeah, it's 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 really really good, and as you said, like everyone in the cast knows exactly what they're doing mm-hmm. with the dialogue, knows how to deliver these jokes in a very like simple way. Like Ebert said, like his characters speak as though they don't want to be misquoted. They're yeah. very direct, and that's the case here. Like, there's not a lot of wordplay going on. It's just simple jokes, and that that's what was really refreshing about it. Uh, to the point that it's like kind of a a, a gentle satire. Mamet still pulls a lot of his tricks in this movie you know there's a lot of mammoth isms oh yeah there is a con that happens at the end of the movie but it is a gentle con <laughs> that's true yeah it is a it is a con out of love it's a happy con the man is happy that he was ripped off at the end of it because it reveals love uh and i thought that was like really interesting that you just have to change the ingredients a little bit, but you can keep the same structure underneath. Like there's not much difference between a movie like this and a movie like the Spanish prisoner, you know, yep. in both cases, Rebecca pigeon is conning. A, a That's guy. also true. Yeah. That, that was so funny. Yeah. You know, think about that. I was like, Oh, he can't help himself, but this is a nice spin on that idea that I did. I didn't see. There you go. Didn't see that one coming. I did never, not, yeah. did not see that one coming. I can't say that about a few others. On I can't list. say I've ever seen anything like no. that before, you know, in the way that like the con was actually a good thing in this too. Right. So it's like, oh yeah, she oh, got him. Interesting. And she again, she's lovable as fuck in this movie. Everybody, even the bad guys are kind of lovable in this movie just because yeah. they're so entertaining. Yeah, even Baldwin is kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, kinda. Yeah, kinda. William H. Macy. Yeah. Just like, oh my God. Hey, hey. Is he good in this? 
I mean, I have never seen a more liberal use of the term broad before in a film. Oh, and I know you. Just is. It's just. It's an AK-47, man. Where's the broad? Can we get the broad? Just shooting the word broad. Uh, (laughs) And David Paymer. I, I think is like the standout as the producer. Such a slimy motherfucker. Ah, oh, that guy's great in everything. Too. Yeah, he like is that great. guy always plays a sleazeball. He's so good. You ever you seen Quiz Show? Of course. Oh, really good. It's one of my favorites. That movie rocks. Have we talked Quiz Show on this? No, this Dealer's podcast? Choice. Dealer's Choice next time. Goodness, that's a really good movie. It's one of my favorite movies yeah. ever. <laughs> I saw that one on HBO a while ago. I was like, "What is this thing?" Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> so that was a movie that I saw when I was like really into game shows. Re- oh, because when I was a kid, like I wanted to be a game show host, and mm. I, you know, of course, like just studied the form, and I was just searching for game show movies, and it's like The Running Man uh, <laughs> came up, you know, in the research, and of course, Quiz Show came up. Mm, yeah. Uh, and it yeah, that was one of those movies that sort of acted as like a bridge between my love of game shows into my now budding cinephilia, you know? I see. Oh, this movie rules, Yeah, it's great. Totoro? Yeah. Oh my God, Totoro's so good He's in that. He's great in that. Yeah. Oh man, Robert Redford movie too. Yeah. Interestingly enough, yeah. Yeah. That, really good. Yeah. Um, I, I did want to say about Stated Man though, really quickly. <laughs> yep. The most dated joke oh, what is I it? have yeah. ever seen in a movie. I'm trying to remember what it was. So there's this company that's gonna uh, you pay for product placement in the movie. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And William H Macy reads the card and he goes, "Bazoomer com, it's bazoomer dot com." <laughs> it's the most dated joke. Can you think of a more dated joke? Uh, not off the top of my head, and that's a problem. Think about it. No way. It, that, it is the most dated joke I have ever heard in my life. It yeah. it, it it aged like like a like roadkill a year after the movie came out. Well, the second it came out of his mouth, Bazoomer Cobb. Uh, no, it's Bazoomer dot Just like oh no, yeah. I had this. I, I was like, what is it? Because I definitely had like this reaction. But what was it in the movie? That's what. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. By the way, yeah, I typed in bazoomer.com. Oh, <laughs> oh no, what'd you find into the old Google Chrome over there? Blank white page in I think it's Helvetica font mm. just in black Helvetica font go you huskies <laughs> what <laughs> go you husky and I think there's like do you want to know what happened in 1975 click here and you click there and it doesn't take you anywhere what, what? but someone is still paying for bazoomer.com doing viral the, marketing for state and Maine. the huskies is that what, you, what, what yeah go you huskies remember they say that throughout the movie it's like kind of like oh, a yeah, calling yeah, yeah, card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Go you Huskies. Let me show you the page. That's like, amazing. It, it's because I think someone drew this up in like, again, with this movie came out 2000. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe 2001. And they're still paying, I guess, for the the domain name. Oh, uh, look at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm Go right. you Huskies. That's funny. And then remember the scene where like he's looking at the banners at the high school, what happened in 1975? Yep. And it's like, all is revealed here, and you click and nothing happens. It's just a blank page. And then there's a link underneath for Subaru Fuel Line Leak Fix. 
Apparently, the guy that ran the website had a problem with his what? Subaru. Oh, my God. And he... <laughs> it was revealed to be Alec Baldwin. <laughs> it's just bizarre. That Someone's is, still paying for this. That is weird, man. Okay. <laughs> they haven't taken it down. He really values that bazoomer.com. What if it's Nick? It's Nick Evangelista. That's who it is. Oh, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> Nick, we need to talk. <laughs> Nick has been known to just like buy domain names on a whim. I know that. He's done that before. He's like, I just thought this would be a good website idea. Okay. Okay. <laughs> bazoomer.com. Go you huskies. That's terrible. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> Uh, wow Alright that's state in Maine I'm glad you liked that one Yes least. I did I really really enjoyed it Did you notice a young John Krasinski in the background I was looking I knew he was in this movie I could not find him Yeah he When uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman Gets on the train At the end oh. when He's about to leave town Krasinski gets off uh, It's like two seconds Ah uh, okay that's what it was Interesting yeah. Interesting yeah. Cool Very cool There you go That's where he was Alright Adam, uh, you've broken my heart today. <laughs> I'm sorry. It, it's, it, it was hey, bound to happen, right? <laughs> but I guess we still have to induct one into the Movie Hall of Fame. And I uh, I guess we're going to go Glengarry? Yeah, I mean, it's my favorite, but are you okay with that? Yeah, I mean, of course I'm okay with it. It's one of my favorites. Uh, <laughs> we're, this, we won't have another time because we've talked about it before and it, and it did not win. Yeah, I think you kind of have to put it in just considering its cultural staying power. Yes. The thing really has a long tail. Um, it's the most important. Yes. It's, yeah, I mean, it's the obvious choice, but it needs to be in, right? It should be in the Movie Hall of Fame. Well, King Kong's not in yet, so there's also, remember that? I gave that one to you, so that's my fault. It's, uh, it's up to you, man. Now nah, we're going to go Glengarry. All right. <laughs> Where did you learn your train? Ah, I was going to use that one <laughs> for the end. Will you go to lunch? <laughs> That's all oh, I love that. Will line. you go to lunch? Go to lunch. You can do the quote at the end. You've used up all my quotes. <laughs> I don't got any more quotes. You stupid fucking cunt. You idiot. I'm going to find out whose dick you're sucking, <laughs> whose nephew you are. I'm going to go down to Mitch and Murray. <laughs> That's really good. I hope you rip the joint off. And I hope I can tell a little friend here something that will help him catch you. <laughs> oh, that's really good. That's really good. That's a good movie. You want to see second prize? <laughs> second prize is says take knives. You see this watch? This watch is worth more than your car. <laughs> What a cunt. <laughs> you said fuck the machine. Fuck the machine? Fuck the machine! He likes this movie. I like this movie. That is a good movie. I'm happy it's in. A-I-D-A. What's A-I-D-A? Attention, interest, desire, action. What? <laughs> what is A-I-D-A? What? At least I get A-B-C. Remember he has two. He has A-B-C, then A-I-D-A. Oh, uh, ow. <laughs> Okay. <sighs> Interest. Are you interested? <laughs> attention. Do I have your attention for Christ? 
All right. I got to find another Glengarry quote. Now oh, no. Well, I'll, I'll find it for the end. I was going to say, I got nothing. I have absolutely nothing anymore. Uh, by the way, I did spell Glengarry Glen Ross correctly. You did. Only one end. Okay. So. I'm happy for you. In your face. Uh, all right. <laughs> that's it. Uh, Adam, thank you for indulging me. Oh, no problem. <laughs> no problem. Next week, it's it's your choice. Or two weeks from now, I should say. What, for Mr. Mr. Raimi? That's correct. All right. We are doing an Adam podcast. The class of Sam Raimi. We are not talking Spider-Man. No, we've done enough of that. We've done plenty. <laughs> the world have, has done enough, really, for all of us. Yes. <laughs> and uh, we're going to talk about the pre-Spider-Man Sam Raimi films. There's some good ones. Because uh, in two weeks... Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness will be hitting theaters. It's kind of crazy. I I just hope it's a Sam Raimi movie. I hope it's a Sam Raimi movie. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Professor X is in this shit, man. I know. (laughs) It's so bad, isn't it? It's so bad. We'll see. I don't know. Some of those trailers, I'm like, well, this looks like more than nothing. You know? Yeah, I would say so. It doesn't look like nothing. It's a smorgasbord of nonsense in that trailer, but like it's interesting to look at. You know, there's some like, you know, some nice horror imagery that reminds me of the stuff that he likes. I was like, all right, all right you know. And I, feel, I saw like one shot. I don't know what it was. I think it was like a bird like whipping its head towards the camera and like opening its mouth. I'm like, there's a Sam Raimi shot. I've been looking all over for them in this trailer. Mm-hmm. And that was the only one I could find. <laughs> so. All right. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Listen to Why Is This a Thing this week for our thoughts on both The Northman <laughs> and The Incredible Weight of Massive Talent. Uh, that's what we are reviewing on that show. A lot of great movies out there, man. Yeah. Just uh, just uh, an embarrassment of riches at your local cinema. 2022 came in. It's coming in clutch. Coming in hot, man. Yeah. Just delivering early on. Very. It's going to continue, apparently. Yeah, we got, we got lots of good movies coming out. I cannot wait what happens at Con. Yeah. Oh my God, Khan! Don't don't let me down. New Cronenberg. Yeah, yeah. That, I missed the trailer for that. We, yeah, it was you, playing, and yeah. yeah, I missed it. For a second, I'm like, "What is this? A remake of 1984?" I, I can't tell. Looks like a lot of body horror. Give me more body horror. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Good time to be podcasting about movies. Yeah, it is. Good time. I'm excited. All right, that's it. Until next time. Never open your mouth. Until you know what the shot is. <laughs>